we drove to the games we were competing in and uh, I, I thought it was an athletics competition and we arrived and there was a pipe band and I was thinking, what the hell, this must be a big sort of a shindig. We get out of the car, we walk in and then I realised that there's a caber lying and there's stands and I said, what are bloody Highland Games here? He said, oh yeah, you're competing, did I not tell you that? And that was my, my first taste of the games. confidence podcast for introverts extroverts and everyone in between i'm your host chelsea heaney and my guest today is one of the top heavyweight athletes in the scottish highland games he is one of the hosts of the podcast life beyond the trig and was recently featured in the netflix documentary series home game please welcome to the show kyle randalls hello there thank you very much for uh, for having me on no thank you so much I'm, I'm very excited to have you on i'm very excited to have a scottish accent on the show <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure mine's is uh, the most broad, but yeah, I suppose it'll, yeah. it'll make up for it. I had a few people like you know say the stereotypical thing to me of like, you're gonna be able to understand what he says, but I can understand you perfectly. So it's yeah, I, I probably speak slightly different when I'm doing something like this than I would normally, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. I was saying to someone the other day, when I go overseas, I feel like my Australian accent gets thicker. Ah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I put it on a little bit. I don't know. It's not intentional, but I have noticed it about myself. <laughs> I feel like whenever I do an interview or I'm speaking to someone and I want them to understand me, I, I slow down and I probably sound more proper, yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, well, I guess to start with, can you tell us like what the Highland Games are? Because it's not really something we have here in Australia. I mean, I'm, I'm still finding out every, every weekend when I'm competing, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the roots of it, if you want me to go into that, are essentially, yeah. if you imagine hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, um, you'd have men maybe out working in the fields, they'd maybe be building walls, building houses, and they'd maybe have the sledgehammer, and someone would go, I'm stronger than you, I'm, I'm better than you, and <laughs> someone else would go, no you're not, well I'll throw this and I bet I'll throw it further than you. And basically that gave birth to what you'd call the Scots Hammer, which is our event. Yeah. You've then got like the stone pot and whatnot, and this is the thing, right? There's all these there's all these roots and stories about the origins, and I like to think you can believe whatever you want. So I can't believe I mentioned it this early, but there's the film Braveheart, and you'll see them yes. uh, you'll see them throwing <laughs> stones. Now that is something we actually do, and the origin <laughs> of it, they say, it was it was for chieftains that have a stone partner at a stone lifting competition, yeah. and the winner would then become his bodyguards because it'd be the strongest. Ah. Um, there might be some truth to that. I wouldn't rule out, considering um, that the, the hill race that you see at the Highland Games used to be held by clan chiefs, and whoever won that would become their messenger. Right. Like for running around the Highlands. Yeah. So there's things like that, um, which I believe are true. And then you hear things like sometimes you hear maybe a tour guide telling a tourist, "Yeah, we tossed the caber in battle," and no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. What a load of like, shit. I feel like you know that I mean? would be just a really bad weapon because I feel like it takes a lot out of you and you really only get to throw it the once <laughs> yeah I mean don't get me wrong if you're on a castle wall and you're just lobbing stuff over then by all means throw I mean, a big tree true. but yeah and, and the heat of battle I can't see it being that useful um but yeah I, I like to believe most of the events that we compete in nowadays um branch from people being out working or out in the barn I can do something better than you no you can't throwing it um, yeah that, that, that's what I personally believe um, but yeah, like for example, um, you know the shot putt in Highland Games. Yeah. Uh, sorry, in athletics. Yeah. So in the Highland Games, we do what's called the stain putt or the stone. Um, and what would happen is people would throw the stone all over Scotland, all over the world potentially, and they would we wouldn't be able to compare against each other as to what each of them could do and what they were, you know, competing distance wise. Yeah. So with the invention of the cannon you had a standardized weight and when you load the cannon you load it with the cannon shot hence yeah. the term shot putting oh there you go so there's a pub quiz fact for anyone there you go. <laughs> there'll be a quiz at the end um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so the the highland games is also like this massive event isn't it like it's not just the like there's there's dances and you mentioned the the, the race before the hill run so is it something that like everyone in Scotland gets into or is it mostly just the competitors who really get into it? 
So I, I can't remember the exact number because it goes up and down occasionally, but there's about 80, 80 or 90 games in Scotland a year. Um, right. And they're roughly, they're roughly from May to September. Right, um, yeah. And, and it's not as if they're spread out evenly. There's some weekends where there's four or five games on the same day. And, <laughs> you know, oh, we've had our games on the same Saturday since, you know, 1820 and they won't change. Mm. Um, but, yeah, honestly, like the lo- local towns are my favourite games. Like when you go up north and you go to a wee town like Tom and Till, there's maybe a population of like a couple of hundred, five, six hundred, and everyone is at the games. Um and if you look at it as an example, Braemar Highland Games, I don't know what the population of the town is. It's a couple of thousand. On the games day, you're talking about 35,000, 40,000 people in the town. Jesus. Um, so it just swells. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that the Highland Games, one of the main supporters of it is tourism. Yeah. Um, I mean, people come from far and wide to see the caber. Um, plus, if you're up in the Highlands, you know, and there's going to be a Highland, Highland Games on somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're still going here. What they'll be like after uh, the old Rona, I'm not sure because they're struggling to obviously go ahead, yeah. and this year's even looking unlikely. So yeah, we're just kind of waiting. Yeah, we're waiting to see what's going to happen there. Um, we were lucky last year; we did a few virtual sort of events where How we were all together. Work? Oh well, it was interesting. Uh, there's one we did at Braemar, which is the, the biggest game. Yeah. They wanted to sort of mark the year because I think it was their, I think it was like a, an important date. Although oh, I can't really remember that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we had the competition there. We all sort of distance whilst we were throwing. But then when we were throwing, obviously, we're putting either a stone at our neck or we're holding a weight and a hammer. So they were having to clean the implements and whatnot, which was uh, a different dynamic, to say the yeah. least. Um, but yeah, I mean, the origin of the games for me is people competing. It's the same way it's been done for hundreds of years with very minimal changes. And people like to come over and see that. Yeah. And uh, what you're saying about you don't know if it's really in Australia in the same format, yeah. anywhere you can find Scots that migrated to, um, there's going to be games. Um, <laughs> That's true. There's, there's more games in America now than there is Scotland. Um, yeah, because when I was looking, I was like, I, I want to get someone from the Highland Games on, and I was like trying to look up people, and there were so like there were lots from the states. There were um, people from from Poland. Kuala Lumpur has a Highland yeah, Games. Yeah, I compete. I compete in Malaysia. Uh, the last four or five years I've competed there. Yeah, so you go over. Is that their summer would be different, wouldn't it? So it's, do you sort of get to do year round? We normally go there in February or March, depending. Yeah. Um, but I think it depends on uh, what's the fasting thing that they do again. That's terrible. I forgot it. Because um, it's a Muslim country, right? Pardon? The, uh, Malaysia, it's a Muslim country. They do the fasting. I forgot the name. Uh, Ramadan? Ramadan, Jesus, sorry. So sometimes the the date of the games lands on that and they change it just because there would oh, be so much perfect. of a local interest. Yeah. Um. So this this year we were going was it April? Sorry, last year we were going to April, but obviously mm. that went completely tits up. Yeah. Um. So they, they changed it to September. That's went tits up, and we've changed it to September <laughs> again. So we'll need to um need to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. Well, hopefully. But yeah. So yeah. that was that was going to be one of my questions. Is is do you travel to you know do you obviously you go to Kuala Lumpur? Do you go anywhere else as well? Uh, the trips sort of randomly appear, and you never know when they're coming. So, for example, in 2018, I was in a country that you've probably never really heard of called Kyrgyzstan. I have heard of Kyrgyzstan, but yeah, yeah, yeah very well, small. I'd yeah. heard of it when uh, I was invited, but I had to certainly look at a map. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I went there to compete in what they call the World Nomad Games. So it's like the Olympic Games of like nomadic people. So people who are sort of migrating around, they live in yurts. Yeah. Um, and it was honestly one of the weirdest and coolest experiences of my life. Um, you're in like the capital town. And, and, and as you're there and you're walking around, there's like fancy Mercedes going by, things like that. And then all of a sudden there'll be a horse and cart. Yeah. Um, it's kind of one extreme to the other, but we competed at about, I think it was five or 6,000 feet, and that knocks the, the wind out of you, to say the least. Um, yeah. It's quite quite a hard, uh, hard, hard graft. Did you try and train for that, or was that sort of, you didn't realise that was going to be the case before you went? I mean, I knew Kyrgyzstan sort of advertised, if you will, is quite a steppe country. It's flat. Yeah. There's very few trees. Um, definitely didn't train for that there. Um, when we were there, it wasn't so much a competition. It was more we were showcasing because uh, yeah. it was the British Embassy that actually got us across. 
Um, the World Nomad Games have went on there for I was like 20 years or quite a while, and Britain's never had anyone compete. So oh, wow. they wanted to market um, with some Scots coming across, and we did like a demonstration thing with, with what we do in the middle of the big arena. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, we, there were four of us that were competing, if you'll call it that, and there's like a, the remnants of a pipe band, so a couple of pipers, drummers, you know. And as we're walking into the ceremony, like it was an opening ceremony like the Olympic Games sort of thing, but on a sort of smaller scale. And the, the pipe band were pretty exclusively told, like, do not play anything. Do not play anything. Just walk in. Because um, they've got all the music on in the arena and it's all, ooh. Right, yeah. They walked in and about three steps in, the pipe major went, pipes! And that's it. <laughs> they went up and they started playing. Um, the people were going wild. Wild. Well, again, like, like the bagpipes are the type of thing where, you know, it's it's a very Scottish thing. And so because people don't see it all the time, it gets it very excited. Though I should say my nana played bagpipes when she oh, was younger. Really? She did. She was um she loved the bagpipes and we had a bagpipe player at her funeral. Um oh. yeah, it was quite cool. Um yeah, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why. Um it's maybe like a really early midlife crisis, but I've been thinking about getting a chanter and just sitting in yeah, playing away, but it's something I keep talking about and not doing. <laughs> you should definitely do it. I think that'd be great. Yeah. yeah, because then you can, like, go to the games and you can go in the march and then compete in the sports. And then, oh. like, that would just – it would just be all about you. <laughs> it's weird. I'm not the biggest fan of being the centre of attention despite what I do. Um, yeah. But what you've just said, there's a guy that throws with us um, yeah. called called James, and, and he plays in the band on the, the big bass drum. And I'll never forget that he does appear in one of the events. And I didn't see him. And we were standing waiting because if you imagine it's arena, the mass pipe bands are marching around the arena and we're thrown in the middle. So yeah. sometimes if we're throwing the hammer, we have to wait and them going by just so we don't kill anyone, basically. Yeah. So I was just standing looking into the field and all I felt was something like absolutely scalp me on the back of the head. And I turned around and it was James. He'd been walking by with the, the bass drum and he just walloped me one and then walked on. <laughs> so uh, he does. he does both. He does both. That's awesome. Because uh, that another thing I was going to ask was, like, are you friends with a lot of the other competitors or is there sort of a real sense of competition? Well, see, the the Polish guy you were talking about, like, that's my training partner. Um, mm-hmm. He lives in East Kilbride. He actually moved here to sort of compete in the games and like that. that's sort of almost his job in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what he does full time until obviously recently he, he started working uh, elsewhere. Um, but yeah, he 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 moved here with his brother, so his brother competed. His brother said you should come over and compete, and then he's sort of moved here. So I'd say like you're you're friendly with everyone. There's there's obviously people who'll be your friends, but there's not really a dislike. Um, because in all honesty, in, in the entirety of Scotland, there's maybe you you'd be lucky if there's a hundred people competing it. Um, really? Yeah. See, this is the other weird thing about the sport because of the the program of the day and the time it's on. A games probably only wants eight to ten people competing in what we would call the heavy events, which is our thrown yeah. stuff. If they have much more than that, the games will run on too long. Right. So, yeah, what we compete in is called the open heavy events. Now, mm-hmm. emphasis on the word open because it's open to anyone. Yeah. If you're wearing a kilt, you're allowed to compete. Um, Do they just be... have, like, kilts on standby and people can just no. grab a kilt? No, you have, have to, to bring your have own. Have to provide your own. Have to provide um, your own kilt. But I have seen people from the crowd sort of run run out by a kilt at one of the stands and then come and compete. But uh, yeah, I've I've seen before like at Braemar. Braemar was the sort of one of the creme de la creme games um, mm. where people want to go and compete. It's it's quite a it's an occasion if you will. I've seen like a, an American come out of the crowd and ask to compete, and you know technically they can't say no. And uh, what the judge would do is they'd walk out and do you know what a skiing do is. No. So a skiing do is Gaelic. It's basically the knife that you put in your socks when you're wearing a kilt. Yeah. My understanding is it essentially means hidden blade that everyone knows about. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the judge pulled it out of his sock, walked out about 40 feet, and then threw it in the ground. And he said to the guy, if you don't throw past us, you won't get another throw. And he didn't. So that was his day over. Wow. There you go. I mean, yeah. when it's when it's the Braemar Gathering and it's that big event, you sort of, you know, want the people who can actually compete to be competing i guess i mean that's the biggest in terms of numbers that's probably the biggest games in in scotland um yeah. easily yeah. but you've got you've got the queen and the royals come there so a lot of people come for that well that's and another it, thing i was going to ask you've competed in front of the queen i'm presuming 
Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much every year I've ever been at Braemar, she's she's been there, so it's about ten or eleven years I've um, thrown. I've I've not got to meet her yet, though. Um, so yeah. the the normally if you win the sort of overall um, championship or you maybe win the caber or something, you get to go up and she'll present you with a trophy. Um, unfortunately, I am terrible at the caber. It's probably oh, the worst no. And I've I've never won the championship. I've been second a few times. Oh, you should get to. Have you met any of the other royals? If you come in second, met, you get to meet a, one of uh, the next down. No, but it's funny. The, the, the one year I won Braemar was last year when we did the virtual thing. Uh, but Prince Charles came, so I was standing speaking to him for a wee, a wee five minutes just talking away. Oh, wow. What was he like in person? Um, Incredibly nice. Like, I don't know. You, you've heard all this stuff in the, in the media and whatnot. And I, I guess at the end of the day, he's just sort of a normal person if you yeah. will <laughs> obviously yeah. he's not but he just sitting <laughs> having a normal conversation and I, I have I had to keep reminding myself well this is a royal you're talking to you can't really sit and just banter away you know <laughs> um but there, there's a guy that commentates that works for him called Robert and we know him quite well because he commentates at all the Highland Games in the Grampian region and he'd said to me oh no he'd appreciate that you spoke to him normally rather than ahoy hoy hoy if you know yeah you know what I mean yeah um so that that was that was pretty cool yeah now I wanted to ask ask how did you get into doing the the highland games events uh, okay we'll go way back here then yes um, do it all the way back when i was like 9 10 11 i started uh, athletics and i used to be a sprinter so you're talking like one two four hundreds mm-hmm. um, and i did a bit of long jump and whatnot because when you're that young you shouldn't really specialize in something you know or so yeah. i was told do everything and then i started sort of growing up and i got to the point where i was maybe like six foot plus tall and i was maybe like 13 Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and then my times just wouldn't improve in terms mm. of running. And I remember uh, the athletics coach at the time, a guy called Willie Robertson, um, he came up to me and said, you know, well, you're 13, 14, you're wasting your time running, you're born to be a thrower, look at the size of you. And I just sort of, you know, at the time went, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I started uh, training with him. I did some shot putt, some some wire hammer, which is actually the successor to the Scots hammer we throw. Okay. So, the shot putt and the, the, the wire hammer are two events Scotland have gave to the world of athletics or the oh, Olympics. There you go. Um, but yeah, I started from them. Um, I competed for Scotland at like a junior level in the wire hammer and somehow in the discus, even though I barely trained for it. Um, and then I would have been, I think I was 14 or 15, and Millie was, oh, we're going to this competition. Um, and I was like, oh, why is there a kilt in the car? And he says, oh, it's just something you might have to wear. They've got a sort of ceremony in that. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we drove to the we drove to the games we were competing in and uh, I, I thought it was an athletics competition and we arrived and there's a pipe band and I was thinking, what the hell, this must be a big sort of a shindig. We get out of the car, we walk in and then I realised there's a caber lying and there's stands and I said, we're at a bloody Highland Games here. <laughs> I said, oh yeah, you're competing, did I not tell you that? And that was my, my first taste of the games. And then I toyed with athletics for maybe another handful of years till I was maybe 19, 20. And then honestly, I dropped it like a, you know, a lead balloon and I've just fell in love with the Highland Games. I've been doing it since. Yeah. Had you ever been to watch a Highland Games before you competed or was your first one the one where you competed? I think I had been to one when I was very young with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. But it, it was very vivid, you know. Yeah. Um, but I knew what everything was there when I, when I was there, so I'd assume I'd been. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't say it's something that I, I frequent. Uh, I suppose at the end of the day it's called the Highland Games and I'm in the Lowlands, so it's not, you know... Yeah. I guess the roots of it aren't down here. Yeah. That's Although there good. are a few. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scotland's not massive, and you said there's like 80 or 90 games, so that's, you know, they've got yeah. to be sp- spread throughout. Oh, you'd be, you'd be surprised. I, I remember once going into Google Maps and I put a pin in everywhere I competed, and I think I'd done the, was it like 40 or 42 games in one year, and it was, it was look, looking at the spread of them. And most of them are in the sort of Grampian region of Scotland, which is like your your corner where Aberdeen is. Yeah. There's a lot up that way. There you go. Yeah. Um. And which do do you compete in in every sport at the Highland Games, or do you just do some of them? Are you talking about like the the running and whatnot? No, no, no. Like you've got like the different types of throwing. Oh, thank God! I had a laugh prepared there. If you were going to say <laughs> yes. Um, well, you were a sprinter. Maybe it's still in oh. you. Back in the day, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so if you imagine uh, at the at the Olympics, you have like a decathlon where you compete in eight events, you get points for each event, and then you have a winner overall. So the heavy events in the Highland Games, you have on, on a normal day, 
it varies every game. They have their own events. You have eight events you compete in. So, pardon me, you'll compete in like two two stone putts. So they're different weights. There'll be a sixteen pound and a twenty two pound, or seven point two six kilogram and ten kilogram. You'll compete in two weight throws, which are twenty eight pounds and fifty six pounds. Yep. I'm doing the maths now, which is twelve and a half kilograms and roughly twenty five kilograms. So you throw them for distance. You then yeah. throw two hammers, which are the same weights as the short putts. Yeah. You then throw the caber. And then you throw uh, an event called the weight for height. So the 25 kilo weight I mentioned earlier, you actually throw that over your head and it's like high jump. But yeah. rather than you going over the bar, you throw the weight over the bar mm-hmm. um, and you just keep clearing it. And every time it gets uh, higher and higher and higher until there's, you know, to quote um, Highlander, there can be only one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have a, a favorite of, of the eight? Hammers. Hammers. Yes, I've been I've been throwing hammer since I was like fourteen. So, uh, kind of say I mean I've been throwing hammer now for more of my life than I haven't. So, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, probably in fact definitely my favorite. Yeah, I was um I was watching. We'll talk about the Netflix documentary um soon, but I was watching that and and I was watching the clips of while you're at the games, and it seems that everyone seems to be standing where the things get thrown, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't sound like a super great idea so like do people get hit like uh, in, in all seriousness there has been occasions where people get hit and it doesn't normally end well and um, well, thankfully no. it's not it's not really happened most i've been thrown yeah um but you know it's the middle of an arena there's there's i mean at braemar you've got tug of war going on at one side you've got sprints on the other the dancing and then in the middle of it they're like oh can you guys throw some hammer please uh, yeah sure um, so quite often we throw the hammer at Braemar, we're actually thrown towards the tug of war. Um, oh and they're, they're maybe about 150 feet away. And yeah. at Braemar, if you can throw 135 feet, you know, it's not too bad. So there's only, you know, a couple of metres between you and them, yeah. really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. But the reason everyone stands out where we're throwing is, say, say you and I, right? I mean, obviously we're on these cameras just now, we can see each other. Yeah. I'll throw towards you. You're yeah. then next in to throw. You pick up the hammer and you walk back in, and then you're ready uh, to throw. So it's a sort of efficiency thing. Right, um, yeah. Plus, when when you're out there, there'll be pins in the ground marking throws, so you yeah. can sit and give it the old oh no, who's winning and yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that that's part of it as well, really. Yeah, I guess yeah, that does make sense. I was just watching it, being like, this doesn't this doesn't seem great. Um, yeah. That's- Sorry. I suppose that's what will happen when it's centuries old, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Now you said it's not necessarily your um, your specialty event, but can you tell us about the caber toss? Because that is probably the thing that is is most foreign to us here in Australia. Yeah. So I mean, the caber toss is essentially a tree that's been sort of slightly dried out. It's had all the bark taken off it and the resin like removed best you can. Um, you're then presented it at your feet you'll make a sort of v-shape in your feet and the cable will go against your feet so it doesn't slide away you yeah. keep your feet there and one of the competitors will then lift it up and sort of feed it up and then once it's up you know vertical and um, it's pretty much a slap in the back and good luck so you have to pick it up yourself which Jeez. means basically putting the cable against your shoulder and um, you bend down as low as you can with you know bent legs you scoop it up sort of cushion it and then you run with it and what you want to do is run so the caber comes past you and as it's about to go past you you pull your hands above your head and then you want to we'll get fancy here you want to flip it through the perpendicular and land it as straight as possible yeah um, with with the best toss you can get being 12 o'clock so it's actually judged like a clock face yeah so you flip it through you want it just to fall perfectly straight that would be a 12 it's then judged to the right side one minute past two minutes past so and so mm-hmm. to quarter past and then the other way, one minute to two minutes to to quarter to. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't get it over, if you imagine you're standing side on, yeah, it comes up maybe here. You're then judged on your degrees, so that would yeah. be maybe what eighty degrees. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, that that's how it goes. But normally, if you don't toss a caber, like ninety nine times out of hundred, you you won't be winning a an event. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, so is that that's like is. Is it is the tree is the caber the same weight at every games or like is there um, specifications around how big the caber has to be or? 
No. <laughs> Every <laughs> single Highland Games has its own equipment. So you're not just talking cabers. Yeah. Like every games has different hammers, and some of them are literally broom shafts. Some of them are like uh, if you malacca cane, a very flexible wood that you can almost bend. And um, some of the weights that people throw at the games are you know centuries old. My training weight I have in the garden that I throw has a date stamp of of 1843. Damn. Um, so yeah, like every every games has its own caber. There there can be different woods, different trees, obviously, and um, different shapes that can have a bend in them. Um, some of them have got metal, like almost like caps on them to make them heavier. Um, one of the Bray Mar cabers is actually filled with lead to make it heavier because that's how much they hate us. Um, <laughs> it's not enough that you're throwing a literal tree. They have to add weight to it. Oh, well, here's another one for you. Uh, some of the games, they put it in the burn for a week before we compete just to soak it up and make it heavier. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the caber in a nutshell. Um, it really it, it's hard to describe and do it sort of justice how cool awesome and stupid it looks and you kind of need to just experience it really (laughs) well because it was interesting like you say you know it's judged on on the clock face and I only found that out when I was watching the documentary before before we recorded this because I always just assumed it was how far you can throw a tree Uh, yeah distance doesn't really play into it at all Um, at certain Highland games if they've got maybe a small caber they'll do what's called caber for distance but it's exceptionally rare yeah. Um, like really rare it doesn't happen at all really um it's always accuracy and the idea is that you'll have maybe one or two guys who get a really good toss and then mm-hmm. they're competing for it and everyone else is just sort of you know maybe just tossing it or you know something like that yeah and how how do you train for the caber do you have your own at home you just go pick up a tree or <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my coach had mentioned earlier he he used to have a small one that he basically used to allow you to learn to pick it up because once you pick up a caber you know you'll, you'll kind of learn pretty yeah. quickly um but i mean I, I was about 15 or 16 and i started turning that with like no difficulty at all um so honestly if i'm being completely honest with you most of my learning of the caber has been when i'm competing yeah um but once you can pick it up you can run with it and you can sort of pull it you're, you're going to get a place in a competition you might not be winning it but you'll you'll get a you'll get a place for sure um, yeah. so most of my training is uh, on the day yeah <laughs> and and um you're, you're training in general like what do you how often do you train is it every day is it all year um, uh, I mean we compete May to September so yeah to put it bluntly there's really not much of a need to do some throws training because for example um there's there's, a, there's what used to be called games week mm-hmm. um so just to confuse you it was eight days where you could do seven games okay yep so it's not really a week but you know what I mean um, so people would compete, you know, like say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it'd be like a Thursday off, then they'd go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. um, and, and they'd be competing in those games. Um, some of those have disappeared now or changed date, um, but on an average week during the season, I'll compete in three games. So mm-hmm. it's normally a Saturday, Sunday, maybe a midweek, and there's a few weekends where you can do, uh, sort of weeks where you could do maybe four games, um, and, and it sort of sort of takes its toll on the body to, to a certain extent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you spend the full summer competing. So there's very little weights, uh, sorry, throwing. Uh, the weights, I tend to try and do one or two sessions in the middle of the week just to try and retain some of my strength. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my coach always sort of said that in, in the winter, you'll earn your medals. You just collect them in the summer. <laughs> so all, all of your sort of hard work and training is in the, the winter. Yeah. So during the winter, like just now, I mean, it's, it's funny saying just now I'm training as if we're going to have a season. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing weights Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Yeah. Um, and then normally I would throw on a Tuesday and a Thursday, but we've had about a month here of just frost on the ground. Um, yeah. And quite frankly, you can't go out and throw in that. So yeah, yeah I'm just just kind of yeah, it's, it's trying to find motivation just now as well because the, <laughs> you're training for something that doesn't exist, you know. Yeah. Well, you want to you know keep yourself going because you don't want it to be you know years between you <laughs> doing uh, yeah, your, your training. <laughs> It does look like it's going to be years between competing. I was uh, I was lucky. I was actually in Florida in January last year. Yeah. Um, but if I hadn't been, it would have been September the last time I'd thrown. So, like, wow. the, like 2019. Yeah. So, you know, I was lucky I, I got out there. But we're laughing. We were out there. And um, it was actually a team uh, event, which is strange for Highland Games. And it was like Scotland versus America. And we're all sitting in the coronavirus, you know, in China. And we're all sitting like, what the hell is this nonsense? Like, what's going on? 
fast forward two months and we're, we're in a nationwide lockdown so yeah yeah that well, was a uh, we we had a similar sort of thing is that when it was all sort of starting in China we had the bushfires oh, in, yeah. in Australia so I remember like any time coronavirus was brought up in the radio just being like shut up I don't care about that now my country's yeah. on fire yeah. tell me if I can drive down this road or if I'm going to drive into a fire um yeah. and to now where it's you know top of everyone's mind um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2020 got kind of battered by everything didn't it like I don't know they kept talking about it but those I mean those fires were on the news constantly here but after a while they just sort of stopped reporting it and then you'd, you'd go online and read something and you, you literally went oh shit they're still burning like intensely yeah. it's not as if it's died down no um, it didn't like we get we get bushfires most summers we have had one this year um and it's just sort of you know we get bushfires but this was it was everywhere and yeah you sort of had to make sure you knew if you were traveling anywhere to know where to go like um in 2019 me and my family um sort of met in the middle between Canberra and Melbourne um and had Christmas down at the coast in uh like sort of the southern coast of New South Wales uh and we had to leave a day early because they could no longer drive home the way they had come up and they had to come up stay with me a night in Canberra and then drive home from Canberra because the road that they had driven up to the beach on was on fire wow imagine trying to go somewhere and having to take fire into your plans I can't I forget you Australians have to drive like a day to go anywhere though right (laughs) yeah <laughs> it's it's a fair way but you get used to a long drive like it takes you know seven or eight hours to drive down to melbourne but i just put on a few musical soundtracks and i'm fine <laughs> <laughs> just get on with it just get on with it yeah i when i was um on my learner's driver license when i was 16 and i was learning to drive me and my parents did a road trip to perth which is the other side of the country um and it's about a four-day drive with stops um so i just really built up my hours <laughs> um yeah so that's, that's quite the quite the birth of fire isn't it just oh there you go you can get in that and we'll drive four days mm-hmm. my first time overtaking was overtaking two road trains wow. uh yeah so it was just foot to the floor <laughs> as fast as i can um yeah it was was an experience but it is a nice drive there is a section called the 90 mile straight and it's literally 90 miles of just a straight road like there's basically no curve in the road or anything wow yeah, for 90 miles i mean we've yeah. got about a mile section of a road up north that i used to get excited whenever i got to but i can't imagine what 90 miles would even look like much just does appear like a, a yeah 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 it's it's probably the fun disappears very quickly pretty quickly yeah (laughs) but yeah so have you been to australia Uh, i haven't no um i've been invited to compete once um, but i can't remember why i couldn't go um i think i was maybe competing in something here but actually the the turn of the year so basically a week ago i was meant to be in new zealand doing a games Oh. Um, it was actually New Year's Day, and then we were flying back sort of round about now, probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that got cancelled pretty much in in April. So that was a bit of a, a sign of things to come. Yeah. Um, but they're apparently going to try and redo it in 2022. But yeah, we'll see. See, but yeah, no, that'd be really cool. But yeah, it's I've always wanted to go to Scotland. Um, I've been to England. Um, because I sort of did a uni trip and the last day was we finished in england but um yeah i've I've always wanted to do to do scotland as well i've got scottish heritage way way back <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean what can i ask what what draws you to scotland what do you what do you find interesting about it i don't i honestly i can't answer that i think it's it's interesting to me because it's like it's not you know a completely different culture you know like if i went to you know to to china or you know somewhere like that that's a completely different culture like so they're not completely separated but there are just some things that are just so unique to scotland and and it it looks beautiful as well like it's a very different um you know type of terrain we have we have lots of deserts and beaches and stuff and then you guys have the highlands and yeah um yeah, I don't know. So it's a very good question. I don't know why, but yeah, I would love to. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you want to come to a country where uh, it can snow in the morning, rain in the afternoon, and then be beautiful sunshine in that and in the evening? You know, why wouldn't you want to come here? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm from um, Melbourne originally, and the saying in Melbourne is, if you don't like the weather, just wait 10 minutes, it'll change. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that's normally from uh, really hot to raining. Anyway, (laughs) I wanted to ask about your podcast as well. You have a podcast uh, called The Life Beyond the Trig. Um, how, How did that get started? It was actually myself and one of my fellow competitors, uh, Sinclair or Sinclair Patients. Um, we were sitting and we quickly realised sort of last year we weren't gonna we weren't gonna have a season to train for or competing. Um, so we said, right, let's let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing it for ages. There's no excuse just now. So let's just sort of get on with it. So we sort of did a few episodes and we just talked about the games and like what they mean to us, like people who influenced us, things like that. Um, and then we quickly realised that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, 100 people listening. There was actually quite a few people. So we said, right, let's try and make a sort of season out of this. So we, we did one maybe every sort of two weeks. And then we got some guests on doing some talking. And we talked about, like, stone lifting. And it just started getting broader and broader. So we sort of finished, like, I don't know, call it season one, I guess. Um, and we're talking about doing another season for this year. Yeah. But, um, like, people have children and things like that. That's what he's done. So time becomes more precious and... Yeah. yeah, it's just trying to both sit down at the same time, especially when uh, when you're working sporadically here. Um, but yeah, it's just it's more of like a project and a bit of fun that turned into like every time I would do an episode, someone would message us and be like, oh, thank you so much. It's been like a little shining light and a taste of the Highland Games when there's been none on. So it's been really, really nice. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. And have you felt like it's sort of gotten you through some of this time when you haven't been out to, you know, play the games and stuff? Uh, I mean, probably to an extent, yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty lucky that um, no, normally, at normal times where I live in central Scotland, there's a, a training centre in Grangemouth where I can actually go in and throw inside it almost at any point of the year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, throwing inside, it's kind of unusual because you throw it in nets. So rather than you throwing like a hammer, like 40, 50 metres, you throw it about 10 metres, it hits the net and then slides down back to you. Ah, um, there you go. So I, I'm lucky I would normally have that. But yeah, I, I trained outside as much as I could uh, during the summer. Mm. And I, I think if I hadn't done that, I'd have probably been really struggling. And yeah, probably talking about the, the games and even getting on some of the people we compete with and speak to them was uh, a nice slice of normal that probably helped more than I, I realised. Yeah. <laughs> kind of just dawned on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's sort of, you know, you don't know what, what you, you don't know what you've got until it's gone, you yeah. know? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is Home Gang. Um, oh, yeah. You're, you're on Netflix. You're in a Netflix documentary. How yeah. did that come about? Um, someone messaged me on Instagram and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some filming. So, yeah, um, sometimes I, I find social media to be kind of naffed. Not so much Instagram, but more like Facebook and whatnot. But, like, the main reason I still have it now is people will reach out to you or, you know, People use it to organise things. So I literally got a random message from, like, a, I guess a sort of scout or one of the, the filming um, crew mm. saying, would you be interested? And I was the first thing is always, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. What, what does it involve? And then they told me, and I was kind of like, someone following you around filming every aspect of your life. I was kind of, oh, I don't know. We'll see. And then I think it was my, my wife, uh, Amy. She was like, oh, just do it, just do it. So I went, fine, let's do it. And then... Uh, she pretty much quickly regret, regretted it when they turned up because <laughs> they were filming us out walking the dog, cooking a meal, going out for dinner, on the way to a game, so you name it. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably slightly more extroverted than her. She's quite an introvert, so it was uh, it was interesting for her. Um, but yeah, I literally got approached out of the blue, said, yeah, sure, when's it filming? Um, the, the big thing that I didn't like is they were putting mics on us and filming like us when we were competing. Um, and ah. it's quite hard to to do. Like it sounds so stupid, but having a mic taped on your chest when you're like throwing the hammer or something, it's it's a weird feeling. Um, yeah, but that makes sense. It's something that you're not used to being there, and suddenly you become aware of it, and that can take your attention away. Yeah, so I mean that that that's sort of how it came about, and then it just grew arms and legs from there. And honestly, I wasn't really sure what they were. I knew it was for Netflix, mm. um, but it would sound like NDAs and all that sort of stuff, so we couldn't really talk about it at the time. And, you know, you can really say to them, well, what is this sort of about? And then the funniest thing about it is they filmed with us and I was speaking to the, like, the crew and whatnot and the, the women who'd sort of cast me, if you will. 
Um, and she was, yeah, we're going out to Kyrgyzstan after this. Um, we're going out to film what's called Cock Peru. And I said, ah, yes, turn in my chair. The game that they play horse polo with a dead goat. And she was like, how do you know about this? I said, I've been to see many matches, and I genuinely have. Yeah. Um, because of the Nomad Games I was telling yeah. you about. So 2018, I was there doing that. And in 2019, they were filming this. So I was sitting telling them all this information about it and, you know, how I'd been to Kyrgyzstan. And I think genuinely to start with, they thought I was taking the piss. Yeah. Um, and then I started showing them some videos and whatnot. And they're like, oh, wow, I don't know what the chances of this would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was honestly <laughs> pretty funny, pretty humorous. Yeah. And um, like how how long was the actual filming for? So it was sort of the lead up to the to the Braemar gathering? Yeah. So I remember the first time I, I met them, I was doing a sort of mock training session. So I went out, I threw some, um, I, I don't know if at the start you've got um, Mark Strong, is that his name? Mark Strong, I think it is. Mm. And he says, this is a man. This is a man tossing a caber sort of thing. So that yeah. was the first day. So I literally went out with this like tiny little caber. It's not a big one. We tossed it and they're obviously using that for the introduction. I did some hammer throwing and, and swinging and whatnot. Um, and then I went down to the stadium where I mentioned and it was myself and Lucas. We were training there with some weights. Um, we finished that and then after that where did we go? We went to my house and they filmed me and my wife Amy again walking our dog Gus mm-hmm. um, and this this goes to show you what filming's like, I mean you'll probably know yourself but um, you, you film hours and hours of everything and then they use like the tiniest little snippets tiniest of it yeah. so that was day one, day two I think we went out for dinner at night with them which was the most awkward thing in the world <laughs> So I'm sitting there eating like a steak and there's a camera like a foot from uh, my face and Amy's sitting eating her, you know, she had like a, a, car, a Catherine wheel sausage. She's sitting, oh yes, this is lovely. And I'm on <laughs> munching my steak, you know. So that was uh, <laughs> that was awkward. Uh, and then they filmed us a few more times between that. I think over the space of a week, it was like six days. Yeah. Um. So they filmed us competing at Braemar and then Blair Gowrie the day after. So that was two two Highland Games. But obviously, Braemar was pretty intense. You know, they were filming there all day. They were interviewing throughout it. Um, and then after that, I had to drive up north, and they got one of those um, cameras on, like, a, an arm. Mm-hmm. And some of the shots are amazing. Like, the camera's above you. You're swinging the hammer. You're throwing it. Like, it looks great. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing what they did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a surreal experience that I'd, I'd probably do again. But yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do it again, if you know what I mean, because it's quite invasive and yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, really are you happy it, that that uh, Amy told you to do it? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I was on the edge, sort of. Oh, should I? Because these things can be a bit of pain in the arse. You know, normally they're not yeah. quite as extensive as this. It's maybe a day, and for a day, someone's just harassing you essentially. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I'm glad I did it, and it's, it'll be a nice thing to keep. You know, if I can somehow get a, a copy of it. And, you know, you never know what might happen afterwards. Yeah. Are you happy with the, the documentary itself? The final well, the, the whole sort of purpose was it is, look at Scotland, look at this, what they do. Like, it's so different. And obviously the tourism would have been boom, boom, boom. And then we're still tits up. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why even things like what we're doing just now, um, a lot of the time if I get asked to do anything relating to the Highland Games in terms of promoting it or talking about it, I'll jump at it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, this year, I don't think we're going to have many games. But next year, we're going to need such a, a drive to try and get people to come back and visit and show an interest, essentially. Yeah. So if I get any opportunity to waffle shite about the Highland Games, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, I'll have to come over to Scotland while the games are on sometime. And, Absolutely. Um, and, come, and come watch you compete. May to September. There'll be some at some point. It's a fairly big window, which is nice. That's also our winter, so I could skip Oh, winter. there you go. Um, so you'll come here and it'll be colder. Yeah. Though where I live gets pretty cold, but not probably quite as cold as, as your winters do. But, um, yeah, it's – it's I like, I talk about this almost every time I have someone who lives in the Northern Hemisphere on the show, but the – whole seasons being different thing sort of like yeah. baffles me like it makes sense it absolutely makes sense i understand it but also at the same time you're in winter and there's ice outside and we had a 35 degree day today like wow. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah well we we jumped last week we had one night which was minus 10 um and then 24 hours later it was nine degrees which is insane um but I've got one of those dogs that 
doesn't care about the weather. He's I'm going out for the toilet and I want to yeah. walk. So I feel the weather every single day. It doesn't matter <laughs> what it is, um, which is nice and, you know, not nice at times. Yeah, fair. Um, now we're getting towards the end here, but I always like to ask a random question uh, of my guest, and it's different for each guest. So my random question for you today is, uh, what is your biggest kitchen fail? Like when just like cooking something has gone completely wrong? Okay, so hands down, this isn't so much a fail, it's more of an embarrassment. But this That's was right. actually during our filming for Home Game, right? Yeah. They said to us, oh, will you guys cook something like in the kitchen or that? And I was like, well, I'm doing a fry up then. Um, so I got there and they were like, oh, we're not really like a fry up's not really like maybe something chopping stuff like it looks like you're making dinner. So I was like, oh, shit. So I looked and I had like one egg, <laughs> a load of peppers and onions, like stuff like that. And I was like, what the hell am I going to make? I've got one egg. <laughs> so Amy and I chopped up pepper and onions like awkwardly and all slowly for the camera and changing and doing this and that. Um, we chopped up a little bit of sort of ham we had. We fried that. We put the peppers and whatnot, and we cracked this egg in, and it looked like egg fried rice, but without the rice. <laughs> and we're just sitting there cooking it. We're cooking it, and you're sort of looking at the camera. And I remember me and Amy saying, "I hope to, I hope to fuck they don't show this in the thing." <laughs> and thankfully they didn't, because um, it was the worst meal I've ever had. And they're at the end, "Oh, could you eat some of it?" I'm like, "Oh, I, I don't really want to." Um, Either that, or I would go with a simple one of every time I make pasta of some sort and I drain it in the sink, the lid comes off. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty classic for me. Other than that, nothing too bad, I would say. Um, yeah, that, that was more the embarrassing one. But yeah, I, I tend to send the pasta for an extra swim um, <laughs> at the end of cooking it. What's your biggest kitchen fail? My biggest kitchen fail, I was oh, maybe 10 and decided I was going to cook. And I made um sort of like a like potato bake potato scallops so sort of like you know thin pieces of of potato with like cream and stuff and um you needed a cup of chicken stock and I was unaware that when a recipe says a cup of chicken stock it means a teaspoon of chicken stock and a cup of milk yep and I put a cup of chicken stock into it uh, sorry, not not milk water was what I meant before. Um, yeah, I, I thank God you Australians are kind no, of weird. Water. <laughs> I don't know why I said milk, um, but I put a, a full cup of of stock powder into this thing. What should have been my first clue is that a container of stock powder is less than a cup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that probably should have been my first clue. But this thing, like I like salty food, but this was was so salty. It was horrible and good on my dad he ate his whole serving because he felt bad for me um but it it, it was not good it was not not good I don't think I've cooked that recipe since I do cook I do like but I've I've never cooked that since I think I'm I'm traumatized you should face your fears and do it again face my fears I should I really should um but yeah that's that's probably my worst one though I was telling somebody today we once Oh, you guys probably don't. Do you guys, do you know what a caramello koala is? No? I'll humor you and say yes. Yeah. You know, like Freddo frogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think they're only an Australian thing. It's like a Freddo frog, but it's shaped like a koala and it's got caramel on the inside. Do you want to know something funny? We had Freddos, right? But yeah. with caramel in them and they were called Tasmanian devils. What? I'm serious. I mean, I'm all, I almost want to open my window and Google it here, but I'm sure they were called that. <laughs> They were called Taz. That is so like they chose an Australian thing, but different to the to the same. I hope I'm not talking absolute bollocks here, but I'm gonna have to I Google mean, it after it and make sure. Yeah. Well, that's really maybe because like the Taz the Tasmanian Devil's like a he was he was a character on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe they were like people will know what a Tasmanian Devil is, and they don't yeah, know what Fre- a koala Fredos is. Yeah, here were always just chocolate. Yeah, well, we have Freddos that are just chocolate as well, but then there's the caramel koalas. Um, but me and my friend once went to, we wanted to melt some caramel koalas, um, and so we put them into the microwave for what we thought was a minute and then walked away and forgot about them, and turns out we had put them in for 10 minutes. Wow. And they were burnt. <laughs> Must have just been like a black gooey mess. Yeah, it was pretty much just like a bowl of char. Like it was. Sounds yeah. delightful. 
Yeah, it was delicious. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was pretty bad. Um, now, my my final question for you is a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. The show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident because that's how I once described myself. Do you consider yourself a confident person? Uh, to an extent, yeah. But um, I think it depends on the situation and what you've been asked to do or yeah. what you're doing. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the most confident if you put me in something brand new, but I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed it maybe something you're not as comfortable with, but I would say that I'm I'm loud at times, but not intentionally so. And I would say I'm fairly confident in myself, but not, you know, arrogantly swagger confident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm kind of awkwardly modest. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I think even, like, there's a big difference between, um, like, being confident and being cocky, which is that sort of, the arrogance being an ass that's what you're saying being an ass yes absolutely absolutely right <laughs> absolutely true um but yeah thank you so much for coming on the show kyle this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you no genuinely the same like it's nice to sit and talk about the games and to speak to someday you know essentially 13 hours in the future about it <laughs> i think it's about about 11 is it 11 uh, 11 hours it's almost it's 9 30 yeah. here so there you go. Yeah, about 11 hours. I'm trying to organise at the moment a time with someone who there's a 16-hour time difference, and the time that I'm that. available, it's about 4 a.m. for her. So we wow. have to figure something out there. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe, leave a review, share all of those things. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Chelsea J. Heaney, or you can follow the podcast at Loud and Seemingly Confident. Kyle, where can people find out more about you? Nowhere. Uh, <laughs> you can find out more on uh, Instagram. I'm just kilted underscore Kyle. Um, and that, that's probably about the only social media I really actively use in terms of these sort of shindigs. Yeah. Um, I also recommend that everyone go watch Home Game. Um, I oh, think yeah. yours is episode two. Um, I'm going to go watch the, the rest of the episodes now. Um, but, yeah, I, I highly recommend everyone um, go watch that because it's, it's a pretty great 30 minutes. <laughs> Is, yes, it's good. And some of the other episodes are definitely worth checking out. Some of the others are uh, different. Okay. Take from that what you will. <laughs> I will. I'm going to keep that in mind while I'm watching. All right, well, I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>